Welcome to Books with Bagby, a podcast about books. In this podcast, I sit down with authors discussing the reason behind certain books that they've written, or we just sit and talk about education, music, technology, or something of the like. If you find this podcast to be your cup of tea, make sure you like, subscribe, and all the things. And share it with your friends, because solos are for brain, not education. And now, Books with Bagby. Welcome back to Books with Bagby. On this episode, we have Mr. Eric Schinninger, a dynamic educator, former principal, thought leader. He is a keynote and he travels the world uh, spreading amazing greatness in education. And if you don't know who he is, actually everyone knows who he is. Eric, thank you for stopping by and hanging out with us for today. Yeah, I don't know if everyone knows who I am, but hey, I got here by mistake, so I am just <laughs> fortunate to be here and able to follow my passion. Well, you know, um, if they don't know who you are, they should know who you are, so there you go. Uh, today, we're here to talk about one of your mini books. Mini? Yes, I can say mini, right? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Okay. I mean, if yeah. seven, eight many, then yeah, sure. Yeah, well... Okay, so uh, uh, even, okay, let's talk about the book. Disruptive Thinking in Our Classrooms. Um, that's the book. Uh, just opening up the cover and hearing the, or reading the little thoughts about the praise for disruptive thinking. And like the first person you have on there, you have Hattie, and then you keep turning and you have Hattie Hayes Jacobs. And then uh, Todd Whitaker's talking about you. And then of course, I saw Fisher. And of course, if you see Fisher, you got to see Fry. Uh, I always though i don't know well they work together so there you go uh anyway uh just the opening of the book you're like oh my goodness but as we get to it what was your reasoning behind the book i know you talk about the disruption a little bit and well actually i, I think the main reasoning was i knew what i wanted to write about but i wanted to break free of the mold that everyone sees me as the leadership guy or yes. the digital guy <laughs> And I think we are all stereotyped to a certain point. And, you know, I am fortunate enough to coach in thousands of classrooms every single year. Now, granted, I'm there with district leaders, building leaders to provide them feedback, but I'm working side by side, shoulder to shoulder with teachers. And I do a lot of professional learning facilitation with teachers. So I kind of wanted to break out that mold and, and really be with this pedagogue, I mean, it is a word, but to really <laughs> focus on, you know, all the different facets, uh, what we could do to improve uh, success for our learners. So, you know, that was the main reason. But then when we think about this disruptive world, you know, prior to the pandemic, we had the fourth industrial revolution, which we're still in. We've been disrupted I remember how Atari, the Commodore 64, the Apple IIe, floppy disk, hard disk, VHS, Palm Pilot, BlackBerry, they all disrupted my life as a youth. Disruption is here to stay, Greg. And, you know, some of the best feedback I got recently was from an elementary principal in Hawaii where she said, Eric, this book is going to last forever. And that was another goal. So break free of my mold write a book that could empower teachers and leaders alike, but also produce something that would have a very long shelf life. So those were my three reasons. Okay. So uh, thinking of your three reasons in the, the shelf life of the book, 
Um, the I, I'm guessing the deep lesson from the book. Well, actually, I don't want to guess. <laughs> what would you say are the deep lessons, or what is the deep lesson? Um, because as I go through the book, and you have these destructive challenges, um, I, I think those are perfect. I, I think you should. Well, you one should go through something like this and have a book where they can be challenged eventually, well, all the time. And, and I think your book does that, especially and depending on uh, your location in regards to your position as a principal or as a teacher, I think it works. Yeah, and, and listen, so many books have the discussion questions at the end of the chapter. Yes. That's what I used to do. But my publishers, uh, Jeff Zoll and Z Jimmy Casas from Connect Ed, are like, Eric, let's challenge. I mean, I have to give them full credit. They, they came up with this idea of a disruptive challenge. We will not change, or we're not likely to change if we don't experience it, if we don't go through the process, if we don't implement it into our work. And that was the whole idea with the challenges is, you know, if we want to disrupt the thinking of our learners, which is how I just I define as you know the ability to replace conventional ideas um, with innovative solutions to authentic problems. Well, guess what? We need to model that as teachers, as instructional tech coaches, as administrators. So it, it was a different take, and and I think that you know it, it really helps people to not just be inspired, but to really uh, experience the practicality of what we're trying to accomplish, which is future-proof learning for our kids. You know, I'm not big on cliches, but, you know, future-proof is not a cliche. We were not prepared <laughs> for the, the pandemic. We were not prepared for all this technological change. Something else will come down uh, the pipe, and we need to make sure that our kids are able to think and apply their thinking in relevant and meaningful ways. Yes. So uh, I, I'm sorry, I jumped on a, a, a nugget from the book, and my bad. And is that what the your deep lesson, or that you want them to grab onto or latch onto? Is oh, that yeah? I think will that's be that's disrupted. One, yeah, that's one of them, and I and I think listen, this is your podcast, so you can do whatever the heck. You <laughs> You know, I, I think that the one lesson, there's multiple embedded lessons. As, as we think about the future proof in learning, what does that entail? Well, we have to rethink normal. You know, we have to challenge conventional wisdom. We need to be willing to get uh, comfortable with being uncomfortable, mm -hmm. to learn how to unlearn and relearn. And that really comes down to, you know, how we think. Often, yes. you know, comfort is the enemy of progress and fear kind of becomes this invisible, invisible barrier that inhibits our growth. So when we think about rethinking normal, we got to really overcome our biggest adversary, which is our mindset. You know, and then I dive into rethinking uh, the rethinking learning. And a lot of that is, it's not coming up with something new, Greg, it's how do we become consistent with our practices? How do we establish continuity between one classroom to another? How do we begin to identify with evidence, you know, that our kids are thinking disruptively? You know, then rethinking uh, the, the learner, you know, what does that experience look like? You know, we hear so much about equity and, and, and rightfully so, but how do we ensure equity in the classroom? 
moving away from all kids doing the same thing at the same time to all kids getting what they need when and where they need it. And then finally, rethinking our mindset. You know, how do we, you know, we often spend so much energy and so much time focusing on what we cannot control when we got to focus on what we can control and really put energy and time into the what ifs instead of the yeah buts. For example, you know, if you think zeros are unfair and are going to negatively impact kids, well, what if in your classroom you stop giving zeros? You know, if you, you know, rethink your grading procedures, not getting rid of grading, but making more meaningful, you know, what if you invest uh, more time and energy into uh, feedback and learner reflection? So, you know, those are just some of the embedded lessons that manifest themselves through the disruptive challenges. But, you know, to future-proof learning, it's the whole kit and caboodle. You know, it's looking at our practice from a holistic standpoint, identifying the research to solidify the work, and then really working to, I guess, innovate with purpose would be the word I would say. I like it. Um, So as I was reading through the book, a lot of it, so I, I... I got another book before I got yours. My bad. Um, <laughs> and I was going through, I know. I, don't I, I think I might just stop the podcast. Oh, right okay. Yeah. And ended and I'm a well, it wasn't an oh, educational I, book. It wasn't an okay. education book. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> no, Adam, I'm kidding. Yeah. Adam Grant's Think Again. I'm not sure yeah. if you're familiar with it. Uh, but he talks a lot about rethinking the way we do. Like I said, it wasn't education lots of different things, lots of different avenues and how we rethink and reading through your book. I was like, ah, did they work together? Wait a minute. How? Hey. It just made more sense in my mind about what we're going, going through and uh, making it different for the students and rethinking how we're going to challenge the students, how we're going to pull the students in. Are we going to do things the same old way? And that was one of my biggest pet peeves is so many folks oh i can't wait till we get things back the way they used to be before the pandemic no we don't want them the same way they were before the pandemic well and- you hit a very strong point is you know <laughs> that's the way we've always done it is the yes. most dangerous phrase in education now it's not that it necessarily is bad no one is saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. but in yes. order to change in order to disrupt our thought process we need to be honest and we need to be vulnerable. And I think that if we're being honest, we can say, this is not debatable. We all learn differently. So if we use the same approaches, if the same approaches are used on all of us, knowing that we learn differently, we're going to be aggravated. This is why a lot of professional development doesn't work. And we need to move professional learning, something that people want to do. That's also has a personalized element to it. So yeah, I, I think that mentality that, yeah, we had everything figured out before the pandemic, you know, it's a false dichotomy. And we really have to look at incremental steps, taking small bites out of the ele- elephant and not this, hey, we're going to change everything for the sake of change. No, let's do what we already do better. And that's kind of what I emphasize in early chapters is looking at things like anticipatory sets, check reviewing prior learning, checks for understanding, guided mm-hmm. practice, independent practice, closure. How can we do it better? 
where there's a focus more on higher levels of thinking, but also how we really tap into those interests and where kids can actually see, hey, here's not just what I learned, here's why I'm learning it and here's how I'm going to use it outside the classroom. Yes. I'll give you some snaps. How about that? <laughs> there we go. Listen, I like snaps, claps, woohoos, you know, whatever. There you go. Yes. We're in Texas. So there we go. You're the third Texan I've had on today. So this is well, great. Well, yes, I, I, I've adopted Texas as my state, but well, as anyone listening will hear, I don't <laughs> like I'm from Texas. And that's okay. That so, is okay. What was your greatest challenge in writing this and figuring out the whole idea of disruption? The biggest challenge is how do you create a, a book that people want to read that is different than what's already out there already? Yes. And I think that we can all go back to the infancy of social media and publishing was confined to the main publishing houses. You know, you look at ASCD, Solution Tree, Corwin, Josie Bass, uh, Harvard Education Press, and then we had disruption. You know, we keep see we've seen how we have all these disruptive publishers that are doing things differently. Yes. And in many cases, they're doing it better. You know, granting the autonomy to people like me to write the book that I want. I think that that is the biggest challenge, Greg, is, you know, yes, you want people to read it, but how do you give them something that's not pie in the sky, that's not mm. opinion? And, and listen, we can all read books and say, well, you know what? This is great. I feel good, but how does this align to my scope and sequence? How does it align to standards? Has it still helped prepare our kids to do well on standardized tests? That's a reality. Um, so that I think was my challenge was trying to write something in the midst of when there's everything out there and it's the biggest buffet in terms of selecting books ever is how do you create something that stands out? Yes. Uh, and I think the jury's still out as to whether or not I accomplished that goal, but it's hard. I still blog once a week. It's hard. Um, and I'm always trying to find a nugget that that's not new. Because if anyone says what they're writing about is new, they're not being truthful. All the ideas have been around for a long time. A lot of what myself and other people really dwell in, you go back to the work of Dewey, Vygotsky, Piaget, but it's different angles. But I think the biggest piece, and this is what I was very proud of with the book, was how I backed up everything that I wrote about with artifacts of evidence. Mm -hmm. And in uh, the appendix, readers can go to Google Docs and see actual artifacts of the strategy being implemented in K-12 classrooms, so on and so forth. So that challenge is just providing something that people are going to have value, see value in. Yeah. So... I think you met that challenge, just so you know. Uh, but I appreciate that positive <laughs> reinforcement, Greg. But, you know, the idea here, too, is, you know, and I'm always, I, I, I'm a realist. How you about know, you met that challenge for me? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But here's one other thing that I've done, because, you know, when I wrote my first main book, Digital Leadership, 
uh, back in 2014, I made the mistake of including so many tools. So mm -hmm. by the time I did the second edition in 2019, I took all the tools out and, and really made it about leadership actions, concepts, strategies. So I did the same, took the same approach with disruptive thinking, but now I'm doing something I've never did for any of my mm -hmm. other books. I have created a Pinterest board of supplemental content. So mm -hmm. I have a Pinterest board on disruptive thinking. And what I do is I look at the concepts explored in each chapter and then I either go into them more deeply or I provide a new angle or I show more evidence of what it could look like. I wish I was doing that before, Greg, because no matter what you write about, there is that sense of it could go stale or it could not resonate. So the yes. way that I've tried to overcome that was with this live Pinterest board that I think has over 40 different resources and growing uh, that anyone can access, even if they don't have the book. And I think that would make a world of difference for the book. But it also comes back to feedback. People can say, hey, you know what, Eric, I, I would like to know what this looks like in a, a middle school. Uh, or, you know, what does this concept look like with this strategy? So I try to listen. And then most of it, I'm doing my own self-reflection to kind of think about, well, what can I really uh, elaborate on that's going to give the book more uh, resonate, have the book resonate more with readers. Yes. So this book is resonating. Do you have any other books coming on the horizon? Any more publications? You know, going back to my comment about me being a realist, I honestly <laughs> don't know what else I could write about. Um, there's so much out there already. Yes. And I don't want to regurgitate, recycle concepts, have a new title, have a few new pages. So as of now, the, the, and again, the reason I wrote Disruptive Thinking like I did was so I was not compelled to write another book. So <laughs> right now I have no plans, no ideas, nothing for... And if I did, I would probably co-author to try to pay it forward and help someone else that wants to become an author, just because I feel that, you know, those of us in these positions that have been blessed to write books should, you know, extend ourselves and, and gift what knowledge we do have to help other people be successful in the space. Well, I appreciate you saying that because, because of you, I was pulled on stage at FETC and ended up well, I'm a future presenter again this year, and I think it started because of some of you, your work pulling me up and allowing me to come inside that space. So thank you. And I know that you'll do that. So well, I think it's, <laughs> I think together we're better and, oh, yes. you know, we have an obligation if we really are committed to improving education, that it, it's not a silo. It, it's not a selfish endeavor in terms of you know we there's an, enough there's enough work out there there's enough conferences enough events but we need just like we need the next generation of thinkers doers inventors creators from a student perspective we also need the next generation of motivators practitioners who can go and using their talents uh, inspire not just the same, but different segments of the educational community. Yes. 
So now that we've talked about the book and a little bit about disruption and where you're not being pigeonholed to one thing or another, uh, I have to ask you about this. Uh, what is your passion? What's the soapbox? If someone says, oh yeah, this is Eric Schenninger and he is definitely passionate about this in education, what would that be? Well, okay. I'm glad you said education because I was going to oh. get a personal passion, which I am now going to redirect to education. Okay. You know, Not Houston. I, I, I think, <laughs> I think for me, what I'm passionate about is, you know, we have much more access to research on how the brain works and we have a great deal of access to evolving technology tools. And I think I'm so passionate about how, when appropriate, we can leverage the research and the tools to really unleash the potential of our kids like never before. Uh, but I will say that technology is not a silver bullet. It's not going to cure all the ills of society. And I get a little frustrated because we hear all the time, oh my goodness, no more phones in the classroom, uh, too much technology. Well, yeah, okay. If we just put kids in front of a device or if kids are bored in class, then yeah, those are going to become issues. But but I think when technology can be used in purpose and help kids not just support learning, but enhance things. And I always say this, you know, how are kids using technology to learn in ways they couldn't without it? And how does our use of technology represent a fundamental improvement over what we did in the past without it? So that is what I'm passionate about because I saw the benefit in my school. I seen the benefit when my daughter was an elementary student at Wells Elementary. And being that someone who travels all over the world, I get to see not just the potential, but the reality. Uh, and that's what really excites me. The, the reality of how we can really inspire and meet the needs of kids using all the tools and information we now have. I love it. So that's a good soapbox. And I'm glad I did say education because I'm not, I, I don't even want to know what your other passions. So oh, I'm going to one of the passions. I love craft beer. I, I oh, love well, craft beer. And you actually, know, I think you I know that. that. I think you <laughs> I know that. I knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I share that passion. And, you know, but I mean, that's the thing. I, I think that, you know, life is just too short and we have to cherish you know, all the opportunities that we do have in the education space, but also, you know, the power of connectivity. When we think about how we are here today, we are doing a podcast and congratulations getting out of your comfort zone or trying something new. But, you know, my personal passion of craft beer, we went out, broke bread, talked about education, but talked about other stuff. And, you know, I think going back to your previous question about passions, you know, creating our own personal learning networks, being yes. able to connect with anyone, anywhere, at any time, resources, ideas, strategies. I mean, how can you not be passionate about that? Mm. And it comes back full circle. I would not be on this podcast. I would not have written any books if it wasn't for an educator who solicited me on Twitter, got into my DMs in 2010 and says, Eric, you want to write a book? <laughs> and that person was Bill Ferreter, a uh, former educator from North Carolina. I just found out when I saw Bill in Utah a couple weeks ago that he's retired. But you talk about paying it forward. You know, Bill taught me so much about writing, 
so much about being an author, uh, about creating authentic content. So uh, another thing I'm passionate about is just the opportunity that every single educator has to not only create, but reap the benefits of a personal learning network. And I have, and partly because of you, after seeing that Scholastic Administrator Magazine cover with you on the phone. Look at 2012, 2012, 10 years ago. And it's a Twitter. I was like, educators on Twitter? And yeah, so there there you go. Crazy. Yep. So thank you for your time. Quick question. How can people connect with you? Uh, I see there's a E underscore Schinniger on Twitter, I think, and uh, E Schinniger on uh, the Insta. I'm everywhere except yes. for uh, TikTok. I'm on Snapchat, but I don't really use it much because I just don't yeah. understand it. But, you know, the best way is to go to ericsheniger.com. Um, you know, all my social media is open. Anybody can reach out to me. I will do my best to help. Um, and if I can't, I'll find someone I can. I thank you. And I appreciate that. And I'm sure other folks appreciate that more than you know. Uh, I think you'd be surprised. I hope so. Yeah, uh, talking to other folks and they say, so, I say something about Eric Schindler. Oh yeah, he's a great guy. He did this and this. I was like, of course he did. <laughs> so, well, thanks for being on the show. And whether you're <laughs> in Texas or Tennessee or any other parts of the world, when you're in the classroom, make sure that you ask good questions, answer the ones you can, make someone feel special and be great because you are great. Thanks for being here, Eric. My pleasure, Greg.